Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... To build something, you need to believe something that no one else believes. And then you need to believe it for long enough and believe that you can build it. And then you need to try for long enough to build something. And then once you start building things, people come on the journey with you. Very quickly after Alex Badron and his mate Mario Hasanakis co-founded pocket money app Spriggy, the guys discovered that while they achieved great success with customers, i.e. the almost 200,000 Australian kids and families who've used Spriggy, the path to profitability for their digital money management product is not all smooth sailing. In part two of our chat, Alex offers insights into how startups have to manage scaling up to profitability, why he sees himself as a problem solver, not just an entrepreneur, and just why the big players, NAB Ventures, Perennial Investments, and Mike Cannon Brooks's Grok Ventures all invested millions of dollars into Spriggy's Series B funding round. Alex Badron, co-founder of Spriggy and chief executive officer of Spriggy, welcome back. I just wanted to ask you, you know, you could have stayed working for one of the big investment banks, probably earned a heap of money, had a comfortable life. Why do you think you backed yourself? It's funny when people talk about this and they talk about the risk of leaving a job or starting a business, I, I didn't really frame it in that context. I always felt as though... I'd be able to make enough money to have a good life. I think that you know, money doesn't make you happy. It's not a function of how much you need. But I've, I'm well educated. I'm fortunate enough to have enough experience. So I wasn't ever worried about the ability to get a job. So leaving a role didn't really phase me too much because at the end of the day, I'll just get one in the future. Um, particularly at that point in my career, I was still early-ish on. Um, but, but backing yourself into a business, where did that sort of come from? Why, what, what drove you, you know, to I, that? Yeah, it's, I it's mean, interesting. Was it a risk? Did you consider it a risk or did you actually look at it a different way? Well, not, not really. Yeah, I, I thought, look, I wanted to have a take some time to have a crack at building something and I think it'd be – what I felt it'd be – I didn't want to live a life and get to the end and regret – not having had a crack. Um, so the risk for me was not to quit and start something. It was to stay in a role that I didn't feel wow. fit me um, and then kind of reflect on my life at some yeah. point with a degree of regret. I, th- I think um, when it comes to backing myself, I know a lot of brilliant, talented people in all fields. Um, and the thing is, a lot of those people are afraid to start something. Um, and I thought, look, if – all these brilliant people are afraid to start something. If I just have a crack at starting something, that's probably one of the hardest parts. Um, let's see what happens next. And like I've been fortunate enough to be successful at the things I have tried. I just didn't have much. I didn't put much utility on what that was. Um, so I thought I've spent m- my life solving problems without much focus on what those are. I'm going to spend a lot of time formulating a problem to solve. And if I'm successful, great. If I'm not successful, I'll knock on a few doors, ask for a job, and I should be fine. With Spriggy, did you always have – was it always a big vision, a big goal? 
I think so. I think we were quite naive. I, I think a lot of people post hoc, you know, a lot of people post hoc rewrite their story that they had this clear vision. I think for us, we were really passionate about building a building things that help people be better with their money so that they could live happier and healthier lives. I think we've seen in a financial environment, you see people who are making tremendous amounts of money and they're not necessarily happy. And then in other environments, you see people who don't have money and they're, they're certainly not happy because you need a certain amount to be able to survive um, and live, a, live, live at a minimum quality. Um, so money doesn't make you happy, but without it, you, you're in trouble. Uh, and we wanted to build something that enabled people through education to not be beholden to it, to not feel as though money has a hold on them. Um, that was always that's been core since we started. The how has been in the details. So, what are your markers of success now for Spriggy? Like, how many users? Um, how widespread is it? Are you breaking even or profitable yet? It's funny. I mean, the goalposts move. I think when we started, my 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 parents were a bit. They're like, well, what are you doing? I was like, look, we just need a we just need a thousand customers, and we'll be right. That's that's I was, and that that was more a device <laughs> to just get them to 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 not stress too much. And we're well over that mark now. I think for us, um, the goalposts of what is success definitely change, and you recalibrate your ambition when you hit goals. I think for us, for sure. me personally, um, I like the idea. We're not profitable at the moment, um, but we have a pathway to profitability. I like the idea that we can have a standalone profitable business that uh, it makes money in a way that's aligned with the customer problem we're trying to solve and that we can take that profit and feed it back into doubling down on the experiences that help further differentiate our product and also our brand. Um, so for me personally, I view that as kind of one gate. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see there as an endpoint. I think it's like you get to one gate, then you go to the next gate, then you go to the next gate. Um, but that's certainly a gate. I think um, the scale that we're at today is great, uh, but there's certainly many more people in Australia we can reach. We're at about um, to shy of 200,000 Australian families using the product very, very frequently. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And um, well so done. We're much. We're further. We're further along from that 1,000. Uh, very much so. And um, I think we've, but there's a long way to go. Yeah. Like it's a, it's, a, it's an enormous problem. Uh, and it's, well, we've done well in Australia, but there's a lot more we could do here. And it's a, it's a problem that exists beyond our borders as well. So, you know, there's, we're just and getting you started. Yeah. Are yeah. you expanding? You, you, you have had more funding and, and that sort of thing. Um, we kind of skipped over that, but you've had more funding rounds. And I think 2022 might have been the, the last one. You raised $35 million in a Series B round from your investors like Grok Ventures. Now, did NAB Ventures come into that in 2021 and then you, May of 2022, you added to that and you raised another $10 mil? That's right. I um, So, NAB Ventures, Perennial and Grok were all the cornerstone investors for that 35. Uh, and that 10 mil, we topped up. There was more demand than space, so we ended up taking more than we Fantastic. We were intending to. Uh, that was um, our view. Is that I think there are two schools of thought with capital raising: raise as little as you need um, at the, at the point in time you're raising, or the other one is if you're raising, just raise as much as you need and then have save it for a rainy day. I think. Um, and which did you fall into? We fell into the latter, and and if you look at what's happening with kind of global markets at the yeah. moment, access to capital. Yep. I think 2023 is going to be a really disastrous time for 
companies of our scale to need capital. And so we've got we're we're very well capitalized, uh, thankfully. And so uh, we raised more than we needed with the view that save it for a rainy day. And I think with what's happening in in, in global markets at the moment, it's I'm, I'm glad we did. I'm yeah, glad we did. Yeah. yeah. So what's the pa- the product pathway? Have you still got more products you want to bring on to market? We do. I think. And you've t- we touched on this in the previous time we spoke. Uh, the financial product for our core product is is a prepaid card. Um, there's room there to create more value and expand in that core offering. Um, so things like the ability to add uh, offer interest on savings and have savings accounts. So we're looking into that space. Uh, we're looking into what happens as kids get older. Like the the difference between what an eight year old needs, a ten year old needs, a twelve year old needs, a fourteen year old needs. Those vary uh, drastically. Um, you've got so many different life events that take place, and we're building products that support the transition from a you know someone between the age of eight and thirteen to someone who's getting their first job and becoming more independent. And so we're looking at evolving the product offering there. Uh, we have a, a another product. Oh, in that's market. fantastic! You mean to help people as they get their first job with what, how to manage, I mean, superannuation when they're starting a job, their tax file number, all those sorts of things. All those sort of things, yeah. So it's, and it's, uh, if you look at it from the pure, like what functions need to take place, you've got, I need a tax file number. I need a, a bank account with a BSBN account number. I need superannuation. Um, so that's kind of the functional element of the experience. Yeah. But you've also got these kids who are getting their first job, which is, yeah. there's so much more to it. And there's, it's a daunting life experience with a lot of complexity. So how do you simplify that? On top of the kind of financial requirements of getting your first job, like kids are more social. So they're going places with their friends, moving money between kids, you know, buying buying someone a drink and paying them back. And how do you cater to the more social dimension of the yeah. product? And there are those products out there, those sort of bill sharing products. Do you want to do something different with that? Well, it's it's uh, We view it more as just function, necessary yeah. functionality. And then you've got... Um, the brand side of things where, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you want to be a kid. Um, and then when you're getting a bit older, you want to you, – you're growing up, so you want to be perceived more as an adult. You need a more mature brand. And then when you're kind of back as an adult, you want to be a kid again. So, yeah. I think how does the brand evolve as kids go through different life experiences and life stages? And so, we're looking at that, that product evolution at the moment alongside you know, some other things as well. Is Spricky Schools a thing? Yeah, so – the the other product that um, we have in our product suite is a school product. It helps parents um, and kids pay for and manage things, payments in school environments. So like right. a, the simplest version you could think of is like Uber Eats for the tuck shop. Um, so you can go on, you can order lunch, it gets paid um, paid for in advance. You can go pick up food from the tuck shop. Uh, so, And the way we think about it is... Anywhere where there's money moving around a family, so parents are paying for things for their kids, kids are spending their own money, how can we simplify those experiences and make create seamless user experiences and use those to facilitate kind of educational experiences for the kids? What's been the biggest challenge in the, I guess, the scale-up? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a very open question. I um. <laughs> Oh, there been there been lots. Yeah. I think I think it's one of those ones where people see press releases for companies and they're like, "Oh, look at that! That thing all perfect, it's, all yeah. running swimmingly." Yeah, it's 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 tough. I think um, I think at a founder level, like keep turning up. That's probably it. Like I think a lot of times, someone said uh, once to me, which kind of resonated, which is businesses don't fail, founders founders quit. 
Um, you just got to keep turning up. Um, I think at a, interesting, yeah. at a team level, you know, scaling a team, retaining culture, retaining knowledge, it's really tough. So, you know, you go, we've gone from kind of circa 30 people to around 90 people and wow. in, in, in a relatively short period of time and, and ensuring that knowledge is transferred, culture is retained and making They're sure happy people are happy. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Uh, I'm like, I'm really proud of how we've managed that transition, but that, it's, it's tough. I think, um, yeah. A lot of businesses make mistakes. A lot of founders in startups make mistakes uh, or, or implement ideas that perhaps don't work out. Have you had a few of those? Oh, yeah. At Spriggy? Oh, tons. Like, yeah, I think, um, for, like, I mean, long list of, I, I wouldn't, some of the, the initiatives we've tried which haven't been successful, I wouldn't necessarily, if we learn from them, I don't yeah. think it's a mistake. Yeah, so if we learn from them, I don't, I don't think it's a mistake. I think at like a personal level, it's tough. I think the the thing that I struggle with is on the one hand, you want to help people. On the other hand, you want to help people be autonomous as well. How do you let go at the right rate to ensure that people are set up to succeed? And as you scale a team, that's really tough. In the tech space in you know 2021, the last couple of years, there were some very lofty valuations on tech companies. Do you think given tech has come off, some of those valuations were unwarranted? So the short answer is no, but this is more of a philosophical answer. If a market is a market, if people pay a price, that's the price they pay, I think. So that's more yeah, philosophical right. than actually, I don't think I kind of skirted your question. I think it's a function of, of macroeconomics. When you have negative real interest rates, you see lofty tech valuations. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. It's, co- it's cause and effect. I think um, with interest rates doing what they're doing and the impact that has on supply and demand of, of capital, it, it makes sense that valuations come down. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a necessarily a right or wrong thing. I think it's cause and effect. And I think. Okay. So NAB Bank, they now have a, a shareholding, an interest. Can you tell me how they're involved? They're, they're a minority investor. So in the Series B round in 2021, they came in in that investment round. They're also a partner. So we work with NAB in trying to solve problems for our customers, which I think is a theme that kind of keeps coming up, solve customer problems uh, in a way that we can work with NAB to help solve those problems. We've spoken about savings accounts. Was there a bit of a a bidding war? I imagine a number of the banks might have been interested in what you are offering. Yeah, we we have, I mean, it may, it's it's a bit more dramatic to think otherwise, but we have a good relationships with with the financial institutions. <clears throat> I think it's a small market, um, so we know a lot of the banks, and we talk to them about what they're up to and share what we're up to as well. NAB invested. We're really glad with them. They've been great to work with. Minority investor. Minority investor. And is Grok a minority or a majority investor? Majority investor. I think my when I'm referring to majority investors, they don't have controlling stake in the company. Right. So it's it's still a founder led company. Great. Um, larger shareholders are, you know, Mario, myself, some of our key investors who I've mentioned. We, our investors, and like it's we're still young, and I think having that founder led entrepreneurial element to it is critical, and um, the cap table and board structure and, and management structure is, is designed to enable us to keep moving at the pace we're moving and keep the agility that comes with a young company. Why do you think it's been successful to this point? Why do you think customers come back? I think it's 
we have to earn the right for customers to come back. I think any direct-to-consumer product, if you speak to any founder who's built a direct-to-consumer product, it really hurts when you lose customers. Like you're looking at, you watch people come in and they vote with their feet. So they don't they don't kick up a storm, they just stop using your product. Yeah. And I think we've been, since the very early days, we've been, our survival's depended on our ability to build something relevant enough for people to come back. And um, I think that, philosophy and how we've built products being very customer focused has been what has enabled us to continue to grow and and earn the right to, to solve that next problem. How do you manage risk taking? Because obviously risk taking is enormously important for an entrepreneur, for a startup, but you've got to manage it, haven't you? I manage it the same way I kind of manage the rest of it. It's It's quite analytical. I think very first principled about it. You know, we don't bet the house on things that are very specky, but equally we don't take no bets. It's about, you know, there are a lot of frameworks and you can think of in terms of what's the best way to deploy your capital and take risk over time. And, and we're very analytical about it. Yeah. Um, try to not be emotional about it. You're an entrepreneur, even though you're a sort of a trained um, mathematician and more on the sciences, but is that the way you consider yourself? An entrepreneur? Yeah. Oh, I'm honestly like... My mates would describe me as someone who's fundamentally unemployable, <laughs> so I had to start a business just to figure out how to make ends meet. Um, but I like I'm just a problem solver. I, yeah. I, I like problem solving. I could do it in academic context. I could do it for an organization. I could do it in my own organization. I'm drawn to solving big, hairy, fuzzy problems with people on the other end that have scale and impact. And I enjoy this problem because it's it's the purpose around it resonated with me at the time. And it still does. Uh, but I describe myself as a problem solver. Were your family, were, are your folks in business? Were they entrepreneurial? Are they financial whizzes? Oh, my, my granddad was very entrepreneurial. So he was... Um, uh, he, from like my background is Lebanese background, uh, so he was uh, an immigrant from overseas. He ran all sorts of businesses. So he ran a clothing store. He had a hotel. Um, he won. Actually, the story about the hotel is he had a friend who had a shipment of bricks and he needed to borrow money. So my granddad lent him money, and then he got a bunch of bricks and he decided to build a hotel. And then he had a hotel. So he was a wacky entrepreneur. Um, and my dad. My dad ran a lot of those businesses for many years. And so I've always had it around me, like risk. Yeah. It, it, that's why I just didn't see it as risk. It was just what I kind of, running businesses was yeah. kind of what my family did. And your parents were supportive? Yeah, they're absolutely supportive. I've, I've, my brother's a stand-up comedian, so I'm a mathematician. Oh, he's a stand-up comedian. Really? Yeah. And so they were like, we don't look, just do what makes you happy. Uh, and they would support us throughout. So at any point along my journey, I I had their backing and they I knew that. And they, that coming back to the concept of risk taking, it just didn't feel like a risk because you've got not it's not necessarily financial support, but you've just got a network of people around you who back you and support you. And it it's a very safe environment, a safe platform to begin trying things because the worst case that can happen isn't that bad. The, the social consequences of failing at trying something just don't really exist when everyone backs you. And the financial consequences if you back yourself to get a job. Yeah. And do you think it's very important what parents' influence is in young people's lives? I think from absolutely. Like the number one determinant of a child's education is is the parent. Um, so ab absolutely. I think in reflecting on my context, it's I have been supported back just to give something a crack my whole life. And I think that belief kind of 
to build something, you need to believe something that no one else believes. And then you need to believe it for long enough and believe that you can build it. And then you need to try for long enough to build something. And then once you start building things, people come on the journey with you. I think, so belief is like a prerequisite. And like to have that belief, I think that's instilled from the environment you grew up in and, and your parents have a big role to play there. Um, so so yeah, yes, for sure. I'm asking all my guests this, uh, just a few quick answers if you like. What are you obsessed about at the moment? Be it a cause, oh, a book, or a film, or a- probably Chat GPT, which is that I don't know if you're across it, which is that like AI software where I should be probably, but yeah, uh, what is it? It's 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 an AI. It's it's this it's a remarkable tool, which is effectively you can ask it questions and it will use AI to respond to you. So you can so different to Google. I could say something like, "Could you please write a letter to my friend?" telling them that I'm not going to be able to make it and make up three excuses why. Make them believable, please. No. In the tone of William Shakespeare. <gasps> and it will just write it. Um, it's remarkable. It's, it's You've got to check it out. So I'm obsessed with that. Chat GPT. Chat GPT. It's, Who invented this? They're, they're backed by um, – it came from like the OpenAI right. Institute. It's backed by Microsoft. It's it's transformative. It's, it's one of the most transformative pieces of technology uh, – that has existed. That's a great example you gave, but how have you actually used it? I mean, do you use it in business? I'm. I, there are companies which are already powering, like they're using it to power a lot of their software. I haven't, like, I haven't done that yet. But I'm just. It's just there is there are software engineers. If you say, please write me a program that can take an image, transform that image, store the image, and it'll just pump out the code. Like it's it's remarkably transformative software. So I'm pro- pretty obsessed with that at the moment. My applications have just been stupid things, but that's kind of the first step. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. And that's how you learn how to use something, I guess. What's one of the toughest things you faced in your entrepreneurial journey? I think I, I mentioned keep turning up. Um, oh, just being, oh, that's, a, that's a tough question. I think for me personally, it's the number one bottleneck to any business is typically the founder. It's the le- the growth rate of the founder is the thing that will stop a business. At the end of the day, if you continually grow and evolve and build skills, then that will grow the business. And if you don't, you constrain the business. So I think it's having the introspection and discipline and awareness to recognize what where your gaps are and how to augment them and how to grow through them because you, you kind of need to step outside yourself. And it's... It's pretty ego, ego challenging when a lot of like ego gets in the way. So you, the ability to be introspective, challenge yourself, recognize when you're being you're you're the constraint, and grow beyond that is an always on exercise. Which it's a, it's like a muscle. If you don't train it, it'll you'll have atrophy, and it won't it won't be there. So that that's hard. Yeah, um, managing people. Managing people is I think. The best and the best parts of running a business are the people, and the most challenging parts of running a business are the people. I think we have a very positive team. We have good people in our team. We have good leadership. We we're not without challenges, but I'm really proud of the people and team we have. It's definitely hard, and retaining culture as you grow is very hard. Uh, we have a very values oriented um, leadership team who are very capable. So I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by really good people. Um, the last, the transition from kind of two founders running everything to a leadership team and, and management structures, that transition was very hard. It was chaotic. Um, but thankfully, we're kind of on the other side of that at this point in time. Alex, have you made money out of it? Have you become 
wealthy out of Spriggy and the I know that's a difficult question and a lot of people consider that a rude question, but, you know, it's really interesting about um, how much money can change things both to you personally if you make a lot or if you come up with this great idea and then sell it to someone and, you know, make a hundred million bucks or something. That's very transformative too. That's it. Look, that's a cracking question. I'm definitely not afraid to shy away from it. I think it's a um, it's it's laced with subjectivity. So, have you become wealthy? Like, what is what does that mean? Is it is it is it the ability to pay myself a salary? Is it the ability to take money out and buy a house? Is it a hundred million? Is it a billion? Is it like I think that is it's an as as the the goalpost move. I think we spoke about that previously. Um, I've seen time and time again that people start they have a financial target or some other target in mind, and they get there, and then they're like, well, you know. John over there is doing a bit better than me, so now I'm going to move the goalposts. So I think, um, not I'm not skirting around the question, but like just, just taking it back, I, I think that the premise of the question is very subjective. Have I become wealthy? I think yes, absolutely. I, I have a lot of fulfillment out of what I do, um, and that's not constrained to financial wealth. I think I've created jobs. I've created like the, the the satisfaction you get when you have people on the who use your product talking about it and they see a t-shirt that you're wearing like oh i love that product like that stuff's really intangible and and like for me going back to why i started i was in a very isolated profession and and i have a lot of sense of social utility from from the role so yeah absolutely i think when i started my kind of financial metric was i kind of tracked how much money i would make in say a professional career and i want to make sure that i could at least get that back or exceed that. And I'd say, yeah, I have. Um, so I've gotten to a point where not only do I find my job satisfying, I actually, it's like, it's financially sustainable. Um, beyond that, I'm a shareholder in a company that's growing. It's, as you mentioned, yeah. tech valuations are all over the place. So it's most of my net wealth is in the business. And um, I like that. I like yeah. it that way because I have agency to kind of drive that value. Um, but yeah, the short answer is, yeah, I've, I've, I'm content with where the business is at. What would you say to other young people or anyone who wanted to take their idea, they think it's a fabulous idea, and run with it and start a business, um, grow it? Oh, I think ideas. I think ideas are ideas are cheaper than you think. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, when particularly when I started, I was like, oh, I just need an idea. I think that's not that's not the right approach. I think you need to have the right motivation to start and keep turning up, and then you need to have the right principles about how you operate to be successful. I think many of your guests will come here and they'll start with one idea, then they'll discover another problem and they'll go over there. I think, what's your motivation? I think a lot of people come to me and, and ask me for advice and they want to start a business. And I think the motivation is, unless it's extraordinarily sound, you're not going to have enough to keep going. Um, so the first thing I'd ask is like, why? Like, why do you want to start a business? And I think a lot of people- So what problem in a sense does it solve or what solution does it provide? And also like what intrinsically motivates you? Right. Like I think that a lot of people, you know, for example, if you want to build a business because you, you want to make a lot of money, that's extrinsic and that's weak and that's not enough. You know, that's not enough to get you through. I think what are the things that drive you as a person? Um, what makes you happy? Like I like solving- I, I like solving big, fuzzy problems with people. I like having fun. I like doing something that has impact and scale, and that is intrinsic. That's <clears throat> You can apply that to many different contexts, and I think that um, understanding what intrinsically motivates you and ensuring that you're in an environment where you can align your intrinsic motivation to 
what's required to be successful within that environment, I think is really key. Um, so if you want to start a business and the motivators, the motivating factors to start a business are intrinsic and they're and they're well thought out, I think go for it. But if you want to start a business because you saw a TechCrunch article and you think it's cool, or you want to make money, or the, or, or you 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 want to establish social status, or you don't like your job, they're probably not the right reasons. And I think a lot of people have false equivalents. They're like, I don't like my job, therefore I should start a business. Um, which is no, figure out why. There's a book called Drive by Daniel Pink, which it's kind of like what motivates us. Most people who ask me, who come to me in, in regard to this topic, I recommend having a read of that book. It's Drive, Daniel Drive Pink. Drive by Daniel Pink. Yeah, it's a, it's a cracker. Alex Badgen, it's just been great to speak to you, co-founder and CEO of Spriggy, the children's and young person's piggy bank app and financial product. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to have you on Build It Thou Come. Thank you, Helen. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed Build It Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.